You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. All right. Well, hey, guys, good morning. My name's Ryan Rice. I serve as the lead pastor here at the church. Man, it's good to sing. Let's give the worship team a round of applause. Get our hearts moving and uh, just a good time to, to worship the Lord on Sunday morning. So it's great to be here with you. Well, hey, we're going to get jumping uh, right in this morning. If you've got a Bible, you can open it up to James chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at uh, wisdom and specifically how it applies in our, our, our marketplace, our business, all that we do, James is going to be teaching us. So if you've got a Bible, open it up. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. We stand up at North Valley on a regular basis to read God's Word just to kind of get us oriented towards the authority and the supremacy of God and His Word. And then I'll walk through the text and I'll explain it to you this morning. James writes, and he is writing to uh, believers to understand the incredible importance never to assault God with pride. Uh, These are businessmen and women who are gifted, talented people that have more than enough. James cares for the poor and the needy. He exhorts them to give, to serve, to care for orphans, to care for widows, But specifically this morning, he's going to be writing to encourage believers to be oh so careful about bragging and boasting about their their business ambitions, but ultimately it's their pride that he's after. So James writes, he says this in verse 13, he says, come now you who say today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, we pray, God, give us wisdom to know the right thing to do. And so I pray that in the midst of this, Lord, that we would, with all of our plans and all of our ambitions and all of our hopes for future relationships, business opportunities, uh, all that you have, ministry or anything that is before us, God, we ultimately place that into your hands, ask for your divine assistance by the Holy Spirit, and ask God that we would walk in a spirit of humility and not in pride. We pray, Lord, that we would learn what the right thing to do is this morning. In Christ's name, everybody said, amen. Look at that last verse in verse 17. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do. You know, that is probably, you know, this morning as I was getting up and I was getting going, I um, woke up early this morning just like you. I'm H-U-M-A-N, human, just like you. I have problems and struggles. I have uh, a family. I have the whole thing just like you. And I'm getting up and getting going, and I get cranky with my wife, and we get into a little disagreement. You ever been into a disagreement before church? 
You know what I'm talking about? Some of you came in here today and you're like, oh yeah, baby, right here. Well, God's good. God loves to give grace. And so in the midst of any kind of problem that you find yourself in, I think an important question to ask is what's the right thing to do? So I go off on my way and I have my routine on Sunday morning and I go down and I start reading through the word and I come across verse 17 and I do not like to see it this morning because it says, so whoever knows the right thing to do, I knew the right thing to do because I knew what I did wrong this morning, but fails to do it for him, it is a sin. So I decide I'm going to call my wife and I'm going to apologize for being short and uh, rude. So I pick up the phone and I'm like, you know, because I'm convicted by scripture and I've made a promise with God. I don't ever want to stand up here and preach when I'm not living out. So I call my wife. I'm kind of like, you know, I'm like humbled by God. I'd just been out on the church property and I was looking up at the mountains and I'm like, Lord, I feel inadequate this morning to preach your word. And I hear him say, you know the right thing to do, Ryan. Call her. So I call. I'm all like nervous. I'm, hey, baby. And I hear her voice. Yes. And I'm like, it sounds a little funny. <clears throat> little did I know it was Sam, my son. <laughs> so he doesn't know I'm going to tell this story, but I'm going to give it to him this morning. So he goes what is it, baby? (laughs) And I said, look, sugar, I am so sorry. I was short, disrespectful. I did not honor the Lord. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm like, it's good to hear your voice, sweetie. I listen, I thanks for answering the phone. Mm -hmm. And I'm really sorry. I forgive you. Really? You sound funny. And then I'm like, Sam, is this you? And Sam goes, yeah, dad, it's me. You want to talk to mom? I'm like, and then Leslie gets the phone. She's like blow drying her hair. She says, yeah, what's up? And I said, hey, baby, did you hear what just happened? No, I was blow drying my hair. I was like, oh, my gosh. I just went through this whole process. Just ask Sam. <laughs> It's like leaving a voicemail, you know, when you're like leaving this long voicemail and you're all into it and all of a sudden the person calls you back and you're like, dude, just listen to your voicemail. No, I apologized again. The Bible says do what the right thing to do is, and I think that applies, here's what you need to know this morning. This doesn't just apply to the business world. The principles that I'm going to talk about applies absolutely to your personal life. And you know, James is writing specifically to challenge businessmen and women, not in their ambitions to make money, but their motives and their pride. The Apostle Paul writes, and he says this about the ambitions to make profits and do all that. He says, whoever desires to get rich falls into all sorts of temptations and traps and snares from the devil. Um. I'd caution anybody that desires to want to be rich and wealthy. And James is writing to exhort believers to live a certain way for the glory of God in all that they do. 
But what you're going to see here this morning, I think is going to turn your conventional wisdom around in, in a little different light because James is after pride more than anything else. Um, he's not against business. All business is, is uh, operating in such a way that you use your God-given gifts and steward your time, your talent, and your treasure, Lord willing, for the glory of God. Whether it's a product or service, whatever that you have. God says that he made man in his image. And as you develop and you use your creativity and all your skills and all your gifts and you use it to do something good in society, it provides this gift towards other people to use. And James isn't against the business, he's against the motive, he's against the pride. Five principles to conduct business for the glory of God. Number one, try to under-promise and over-deliver. Look what he says in verse 13. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. The problem is, is that they're, they're over-promising. They don't know what the future holds. He says three things that these, uh, these people are saying is, first is that we're going to go somewhere. Second thing, they say we're going to spend a year there. Third thing, they say they're, they're going to go and they're going to trade and make a profit. Now, those are plans, but that's not granted to them. And James warns, hey, be careful. Verse 14, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. In other words, what James is saying is you don't have a crystal ball. You can't look inside of this, this, this crystal ball to find out what your future is and then bank on it. And otherwise, what you're doing is you're acting like you are God and you are not. You are not omniscient, I mean all-knowing. Only God is omniscient. Only God can see the future. James cautions us. This principle, try to under-promise and over-deliver, is something that we've practiced at North Valley since the beginning. This is how we set budgets for us in our ministry year. We're, in the end, we're nearing the end of our fourth quarter for the way we structure our ministry year, much like a school year. And when we look for a new ministry year, we try to forecast how the church has been growing, the things that we can take on, the ministry initiatives, the financial projections, staff that we can give raises to, all that. But at the end of the day, we come down and we say, let's try to not over-budget ourselves so we're strapping ourselves and creating an undue stress and burden upon our church, amen? It's the same way that you've got to think about how you manage your own household. If you, if you overextend yourself, you're going to find yourself in all sorts of worry and frustration. One of the worst things you can do is bank on some kind of future opportunity and strap yourself with responsibility that demands that you fulfill it. And what James is saying is, you're saying, hey, we're going to go here and then we're going to spend a year. You might be there a lot, a lot longer time. How many times in life have you had these, I thought, kind of stories go on? Uh, go into your life, where you planned one way and then life worked out a different way. You thought you'd be in one job for one year and you didn't find out that you're there for two years or three years or four years. Or you thought you'd be in one place for just a little while and then it turns out you're, you're going to need to be there a long time. James cautions the way we think. Try to under-promise and over-deliver. This even works out in your own little relationships with your kiddos. Yesterday, we sat down on Saturday morning and we planned out our day, and we discussed how it was going to go, and, you know, 
So Leslie and I are sitting there drinking coffee, and she says, okay, how about we hang around the house? And then I say, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do some reading. Let's do some relaxing. Then we need to go do this errand or whatever. And then we talk about, okay, we need to go do this activity. And then we talk about going to the pool. Well, the pool's the last thing on the agenda. And let me tell you something. When you got a little toddler in the house, and you talk about, hey, we're going to go to the pool today. And if you don't deliver, guess what's happening? You got a problem on your hands. So we don't mention the pool yesterday, but the pool is bonus. So if we get to the pool, it's bonus. Thankfully, we spent a couple hours at the pool and we had a great time. Maya never knew that was in the plans. Uh, always try to underpromise and over deliver in your personal life, in your business life. It sets you up with the right disposition towards God. And God ultimately, you're in control. You know what's going to happen. And I want to pace myself and show myself wise. James says, look what he says in verse 14. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Let's say that together. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. Truth is, is that you don't know. You can't look into the future. You can't act like God. You're not omniscient. So how do you, how do you navigate? Well, Jesus taught on wise planning. Just to name a few verses and examples is, remember when he told his disciples that you need to count the cost. You need to avoid looking foolish, is what he goes on to teach his disciples, that you need to calculate what it's going to cost you, Jesus said, to follow me. And if the people that do not count the cost will end up looking foolish to the world around them. Jesus goes on to say, he talks about not worrying about tomorrow. How do you live wise and how do you under-promise and over-deliver? You take one day at a time. Much of James' teaching is coming out of his, his brother's teaching, Jesus, from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus taught that focusing on the future can actually be really stressful for you. He says in, Jan- in Matthew 6.34, don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Take one day at a time. Jesus taught that. Jesus also taught building according to God's plan. He said, if you want to build the future, you got to understand that you build everything according to God's design, God's principles, God's ways. That's how you live. Jesus taught us how to under-promise and over-deliver. Second thing we're going to learn this morning is that we need to not forget that life is short and we need to pray hard. There was an old Reebok ad when I was growing up, and it says, life short, what? Play hard. This morning, I'm encouraging you to think about it like this. Life is short, and you need to pray hard. If you're going to do business for the glory of God, you need to realize that life is short. Look what it says in verse 14. What is your life, James says? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. A mist was a common sight in ancient Palestine. By the sea, there would bring in fog and moisture in the early mornings, and by noon, the sun would come in and evaporate. The water, the, the mist, as the sun would rise, it would come and it would go. Look what James says. He says, it appears and then it vanishes. How many things in your life has appeared and then vanished? You've seen a job opportunity come about, and then it vanishes. You've had health, physical health, strength, 
and then it vanishes. James says, what is your life? He's indicating that there's an incredible importance to realize that there's this transitory, temporal nature about life. We see movie stars rise and fall. We see celebrity singers rise and fall. And then just a few generations later, nobody remembers who they are. Life is short. Colossians 3.23 has been an encouraging verse for me. And it talks about the importance of living before God. Whatever you do, do it with all your heart as for working for the Lord, not for men. How do you, li- how do you live a life focused? You live before the audience of one. You decide who, who you're going to live for, what you're going to live for. You live for Christ. You don't worry about what other people are going to think. You realize life is short and that you're going to live for God. Pray hard. What do I mean by that? I mean that you need to realize that there is a wisdom that you need to live your life. If life is short, then how ought you to live? The Lord's Prayer helps me understand how my prayer ought to be directed. I think the Lord's Prayer teaches us a few things. It teaches us about priorities in life. It teaches us about a plan in life. And it teaches us about the pace of life. Let's say the Lord's Prayer together. Many of you know it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. Let's stop right there. Three things that happened there as we're talking about that prayer is when we say hallowed be thy name, that shows priority. God's the priority. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. You are amazing. I am not God. You are God. Holy is your name. That's priority. That teaches me how to live my life. When he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the plan. We're going to, by God's grace, we're going to live out God's kingdom. We're going to bring more of heaven down here by God's grace, by living out what God wants to do. God's the one who ultimately does this, calls us to live like Christ. And we want to see God's ways lived out on earth as it is in heaven. What's wrong with earth is that we're not living the way God designed it. And so the plan is, is God, I want the ways that you have, your kingdom to come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the prayer that we ought to have. Give us today our daily bread. That's pace. That's how we pray, Lord, today, one day at a time. Give, a, give me today my daily bread. Don't forget life short. Pray hard. Nothing is promised in life. You don't know how long you're going to live. You don't know how long your business is going to go great. And James reminds us of that and says, wait a second. You need to realize something. You're not God. Number three, always submit your plans into God's sovereign hands. Always submit your hands into God's sovereign hands. Sovereign, what does that mean? It means God's powerful control over all creation means ultimately he's the one who's in control. In Psalms 102.25, it says, Long ago you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. God's the one who created everything. In Sunday school, we used to sing, He's got the whole world 
in his hands. He's got the whole world. Yeah, I'll quit singing. But we'd sing that kind of song. And what that's teaching us is that God's sovereign, that he's in control and he made it all. And James wants us to remember that. So how do we submit our plans into God's hands. Verse 15, he says this, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. So how do we submit our plans into God's hands? First thing that you do is you say, Lord willing. Let's all say that together. Lord willing. That is a, now what I'm not doing you is teaching you some cliche statement that you attach to all your prideful, ambitious plans to slap it on there and say, hallelujah, Lord willing. But I'm trying to teach you what James is saying is, the Bible says what comes out of your mouth is an indication of what's going on in your heart. So do we make plans at North Valley? Yes, big plans. Do we entrust them into God's sovereign hands all along the way, before, in the present, and for the future? Yes, we do. And ultimately, we see that God's the one who can direct and redirect anything he wants. So the phrase, Lord willing, is important. He says, you ought to say. That's a way to speak. That's a, what comes out of your mouth is an indication of your heart. And James says, this is what ought to be coming out of your mouth is, hey, if the Lord wills, we're going to go into this city and we're going to do that and we're going to have these plans and we're going to make a profit. If the Lord wills, the Lord's will and his ways are the most important. The issues here is the, the if condition. He says, if the Lord wills. So there's this, this reality for every Christian that we have to be submissive underneath God to go, if you will this, I will do that. It's the if condition. We will live. James even draws out, hey, let me draw your attention, James says. First of all, you don't even know how long you're going to live. Life is short. You, you don't even know if tomorrow you're going to be alive. For fun, I decided to calculate how long I would live. So I went onto this website called deathclock.com. I told my kids the other day, I talk about death a lot at my house. It's a little eerie. Partially because I love this world and the Bible warns me that if I love the world more than I love heaven, then I've got something wrong. And so I, I kind of try to train myself to go, I want heaven more. Deathclock.com says Monday, August 30th, 2060, the church will be 48 years old, Lord willing. There we go, I said it. <laughs> I will be 81 years old, and Lord willing, I will have just retired from North Valley. I'm maybe at 79. Look what James says, do this or that. James says, if God willing, you will be able to do this or that. It's not wrong to plan. We just need to consult God in our plans and trust him if he wants to redirect us. How do we submit everything into God's hands? Here you go. Let me give you a second step of encouragement to live in godly wisdom and do business according to the glory of God. 
If it's not there in your notes, it might be Proverbs 16, 9. It says this, a person plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. The first thing you do is you say, Lord willing. Let's all say that together. Lord willing. That's a great statement to hold. Because what you're doing is you're submitting to the sovereignty of God. God's all in control. Lord willing, this is what we're going to do. Second step is you make your plans. Make plans. That's important. A person plans his course, but the Lord directs his steps. We plan, God ultimately directs, and God can also redirect. All throughout Scripture, we see God directing people, and then in the mid-course of that plan, he changes those plans, and he says, go over here. The Apostle Paul, on his second missionary journey, had these, all these plans that he was going to visit the churches that he planted. And then in the midst of it, in Acts chapter 16, it shows that God redirected Paul to go to Macedonia. Well, that wasn't the plan. Let me ask you a question. Does God have authority and power to redirect people's plans? He does. God's sovereign. Is God good even though he can change plans? He is good. Number four, I encourage you to keep to cultivate this mindset of always submitting your plans into God's hands is to keep a, an even-if attitude. I call it the even-if attitude found in Daniel's life, or in, in the book of Daniel. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are th- being uh, challenged by the king, and he calls them to bow down in worship, and he says, They say, no, we're not going to worship you. That's blasphemous. That's idolatry. We will not do it. They rebel against the king. And the king says, well, I'll throw you in a fire and burn you alive. And they say, you know what? They say this in Daniel 3, 17 through 18. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve, listen to this, is able to save us. He doesn't say, absolutely will save us because they don't know what the future holds, but they do know that God is absolutely able. He says, he will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the gold, the statue that you've set up for us. I call that the even-if attitude. Uh, Just the other day, I met with a businessman who's developing the pinnacle of his career into this project that he has going on in the Phoenix Valley. And he talked about it with such confidence that there's no way that God would change. And I cautioned him. I said, the future is not set We don't live in a set world. God can move and change things as he wishes. He can make kings rise and make kings fall. He can bring leaders in. He can change churches. He can do whatever he wants. He's God. And so the question is, is are we pliable enough to have this even-if attitude when we find ourselves in a situation and we're planning for the future and we want it to work out or we're asking God, would you help me do this or help me do that? And The position and the posture I think that we need to have is this even-if attitude. God, this is what I'm planning. This is what I'm hoping for. This is what I'm praying for. But even if you choose that it's not going to go this way, I'm going to follow your ways. I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do things right. That even-if attitude is incredibly important 
for us to learn how to submit our plans into God's hands. Make plans. Make big plans. Make plans that glorify God, that bring goodness and grace to people. Make those plans. Entrust them into God's hand all along the way, though. And choose ahead of time that even if it doesn't work out the way you want it to, you're going to serve the Lord. Amen? That's wise. Number four, remember God opposes the prideful, but not the profitable. Now, I warn you on this. The Bible does speak about the desire and the love for money and calls it incredibly dangerous. But I've met many people that are poor that struggle so much with an ambition and a desire to get rich, almost even more than those who have wealth. And James here is not writing against the businessman or the woman for their ability to make a profit. More so, he's frustrated at their pride. Remember, here's the point. James said earlier, but he gives more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud, but he shows grace to the humble. God is actually opposed to prideful people. It's like a military battle lined up against each other. That when there's pride, God opposes that and he doesn't want to work with you. He will work against you. And so it's incredibly important to walk in humility and James is rebuking pride. He says in verse 16, as it is you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. The Bible repeatedly rebukes pride. Jesus detested it and called the Pharisees of his day who were incredibly prideful, blind fools. Pride is the problem. You know, I want to caution us, though, as a church, because a lot of times what happens in churches is you have a kind of a kind of polar opposites view on wealth and materialism. There is what's been called poverty theology, that the idea that if you have less and you live more an ascetic life where you're like a, like a living like a monk and you retreat into isolation and you do away with materialism, that's a, a good holy ambition. And that's great. It's called poverty theology. And people in those camps tend to quote the idea that Jesus had no place to lay his head and, you know, all this other stuff and talk about that. And they can oftentimes demonize money or profits or business or whatever. And then you have over here on this other polar extreme, this prosperity theology. That if you become a a Christian and a sign of your spiritual uh, vitality is you're incredibly affluent and wealthy. And the Bible actually advocates in the middle. It does not advocate a poverty theology and it does not advocate a prosperity theology. It, op- it advocates a stewardship theology that you are all gifted with time and talent and treasure at some level or another. And you're to steward that in such a way that blesses God and blesses his people. And Jesus actually teaches on the parable of the talents of the incredible importance of that stewardship theology. Remember the parable of the talents when to one he gives five talents and to the other two and to the other one and it says each according to his ability. In other words, that's the talent, that's, that's, that's the skills. 
And then he says, go off and you invest these. And then he come back and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant to the one who had five and then to the one who had two. But the one guy who only had one talent, what did he do? He says he went out in the field and he buried it. And he did not make any interest on it. And Jesus actually rebuked that. So there's this stewardship responsibility. God opposes the prideful, he's not the profitable. Positive examples of profitable businessmen and women in the New Testament. Joseph called Barnabas in the early church in Acts chapter 4, 36 and 37. He sold land and he gave the proceeds to believers. He was incredibly wealthy and God used him to flourish the church. That's exactly what happened with our churches. Wealthy men, business men and women have contributed tremendously. Doctors, lawyers, people that had wealth gave. People who did not have wealth gave. Another example of a wealthy businesswoman in the early church was Lydia. She was an Italian uh, designer. She hosted the first church in Europe in her home. In Acts chapter 16, verses 13 through 15 and verse 40, she was a businesswoman who was well-to-do, and God used her. God opposes the prideful not the profitable. We should choose always to use our resources in our homes to accomplish God's purposes. Lydia hosted the first neighborhood group. She opened up her home. We have to be cautious in making our main ambition to subject all of our plans and our life before a sovereign God and king. The posture that we get from James is that God is king and we are his servants. There's nothing wrong with the servant being incredibly gifted and talented and skilled and blessed with all sorts of resources, but ultimately it all needs to be subjected and submitted to a sovereign king. And if God chooses to bless your business or your ministry or whatever it may be in such a way, then you always ought to leverage that to glorify God more. And every time pride wells up, you ask God, would you help me to humble me? I want to walk in humility. God opposes the prideful. James calls on that quite a bit. Last point is this, is that we need to ask ourselves, what's the right thing to do? Verse 17 says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it is a sin. You know, God's given you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who is to counsel you, to work through your conscience, to work through your emotions even, to convict you of sin. And that every one of us are born with this moral conscience. And then in receiving Christ as Lord, we receive the Holy Spirit to guide us, to illuminate Scripture. And there's never a situation in your life where actually you are fatally determined to commit a sin. God has given you enough through his son, Jesus Christ all the riches and the righteousness that it takes for you to live and to navigate a life in honoring him.
What is the right thing to do? That is the most important question that you can ask yourself. In every business situation, in every relationship, in every season, in every time in your life is what is the right thing to do? That was the question that I asked this morning. Lord, I don't feel at peace right now. I'm going to go preach this morning, and I've had tension in, with my wife, and I don't want to get up there and preach without having resolved that. What's the right thing to do? Now, the Holy Spirit works in those moments. Those are some of the most important moments of our day and our spiritual life is when you ask those kind of questions. Lord, what's the right thing to do? And then you're quiet. Be quiet. Listen to the Lord. He may not speak to you audibly, but he can work through your mind and he can work through your heart and he will reveal to you what is the right thing to do. And then you always filter it through God's word and say, is this correct? Is this true? Well, even this morning, I thought, well, should I confess, Lord, that I'm wrong? The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins. Confess your sins to one another, the Bible says, so that you may be healed. I felt lame this morning before I confessed my sin to my spouse. I found healing when I confessed my sin to my spouse. Does that make sense? We walk around, sin's like a disease and it will cripple and lame you. And so James says, really, this thing, right thing to do, it's often not the sin of commission. It's actually the sin of omission. Meaning, this is not the, oftentimes the, the real battle that you face before God is not what you do a lot of times, it's what you don't do. The sin of omission for me this morning would have been this. Oh, I'm going to read in your word, Lord. Oh, I'm going to pray. Mm, I feel like I did something wrong at home, but oh well, I'm not going to call her. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to go to church and preach my little face off and just present it and keep rolling on. That's called the sin of omission. It doesn't do any good. And these are the sins that I can't see and you can't, you, you, other people can't see in your life. They're the things that you should do, but you don't do. It's the sin that is messing up your relationship with your spouse because you know you need to speak up and you need to say, forgive me for that, but you choose to be silent. It's the sin that is going on in your business and you know that you ought to do something about it because you know the right thing to do, but you choose to just sit and let it roll. And the Bible says, if you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, then that's sin. The greatest sin, I think, that we commit oftentimes, the older we get in our spiritual life, is the sin of omission. See, because the sins of commission are easy. I, 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 I say something mean or rude, and people hear that. I do something disrespectful or inappropriate or whatever may be the case for you or for me or for any other Christian in the world, those are the things that we do. Those are the sins of commission. And what James is going for is the heart. 
he's wanting you to ask the question, what's the right thing to do? And ultimately, for anybody that's involved in business or in managing people or resources and looking into the future, it's the right thing to do is always include God in all of your plans, all of your ambition, all of your desires, all of your hope for your marriage, for your ministry, for your business, all of it you submit under a mighty sovereign king and you see yourself as a servant and you talk to God like you're a servant and you say things like, by God's grace, we're going to go do this or we're going to buy that house or we're going to do that, Lord willing. Because that tempers everything you say, that you're not some arrogant, prideful person that thinks you own everything and do everything. And you, they say, well, why do you say it like that? Well, God's the one who ultimately controls everything. God's the one. And we submit under the hand of a sovereign king. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for these men and these women. I love them tremendously, and I thank you for the privilege to preach at North Valley. I pray, God, that for the future of our church, oh, God, would you bless their businesses? Would you bless their homes and their ministries and their, everything that you've given them? And I pray, God, in a spirit of humility that would just saturate their hearts and their minds, and Lord, that ultimately they trust every relationship, every business deal, every promise for the future, every hope, every desire under your hand and say, I am trusting in you. And Lord, we pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.